Good morning. Such a delight to be with you. You should be encouraged to know that the leaders of your class, I would say, are what we used to say in Tennessee, they're prayed up because they invited me to come and do evangelism training back in the summer, and they planned the last two weekends in October. So I come, I come to the service. What does Chuck preach about this morning? But Acts chapter 4, concluding with the verse, there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Only God can put that kind of timing together. So it's a delight to be with you. My goal this week is just to give you a general overview of evangelism. And the next week, we're going to center on how to share Christ with your relatives. You know, we think about challenging mission fields, and we think about the Middle East. We think about the Far East. We think about different foreign locations. But let's face it, some of the hardest places to share are with those that are related to us that live near us. So that's what we're going to do next week. But I love um, evangelism. I love it when I'm sharing the gospel and I can see the light come on in someone else's eyes. And for the first time, they recognize what God has done for them and they, they place their faith in him. But I will admit sharing the gospel is not only a blessing for the person hearing the gospel, it's also a blessing for me. Because when I am sharing the gospel, I am becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. You know, that's the whole goal of discipleship, to become like Jesus. And let me say this, if Jesus is sharing the gospel, which he does throughout the gospels, if we want to look like Jesus, what do we need to be doing? Sharing the gospel as well. And it's also an awesome way to make a difference in the life of someone else. In fact, I think it's the greatest way you can make a difference by inviting that person to come to know the very God that created them. I think that's the most wonderful thing you could possibly do for anyone. And it's something that will make an eternal difference, not only in this life, but also in the next. And finally, one of the most awesome privileges we have in evangelism is I find when I'm sharing the gospel, my, my intimacy with God increases. When God has me step out of my comfort zone in that moment when I'm sharing with someone else, not knowing how they're going to react, depending totally on God to guide the conversation and to lead me, my intimacy with Him grows, my dependence on Him grows, and I learn more about them. And I, I think there's a reason why there's a great promise that accompanies the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission at the end of Matthew? Go, therefore, into all the world and, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, then what did the, and teaching them to observe all things. And then what does he say? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So I think there's a connection between my intimacy with God and telling others about God when we step out of our comfort zone to do that. But let's just face it, while evangelism is an awesome privilege, it also can be intimidating. Studies have shown that 95% of Christians, 95% have never led one person to Jesus Christ. And the question is why? 
Well, a huge reason involves the title of the seminar. The title is, if you look on your sheets, what is so scary about evangelism and how do you overcome those fears? And notice how we start there on your handout. Most believers admit that they do not speak to others about Christ with any consistency. When asked the question, why don't you, many answer with one word, and it's a four-letter word spelled F-E-A-R. Let's say it together. Fear. Fear is the number one reason people don't share their faith. So notice the subtitle. What is so scary about evangelism and how do you overcome those fears? Notice I didn't say how to remove those fears. How to remove those fears. And here's the deal. This is why I don't say I'm, I'm going to help you remove your fear. I'm going to help you overcome your fear. It's because fear in evangelism is normal. It's a part of the process. Everyone experiences fear in evangelism. I do. Uh, pastors do. Even the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 admitted that he experienced fear in evangelism. And even the founder of our ministry, Larry Moria, who many of you know, admits readily that he experiences fear in evangelism. And here's the key. If you wait to share the gospel, if you're waiting on your fear to go away, guess what? You will never get around to sharing the gospel. So the whole idea is not how to get rid of your fear. It's how to overcome your fear. So that's the idea. And here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk about three key fears that people have in evangelism. There's many, many types of fears, but we're going to identify three of the top ones. We're going to name each fear. We're going to explain why it's a problem. And we're going to give you practical solutions on how to overcome that fear. So we're going to name three fears, take them one at a time. We're going to explain why each fear is a problem. And then I'm going to give you strategies how to overcome that fear to share the gospel. So let's jump in with the first fear there on your sheet. Fear number one, I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. And notice I filled in your blanks. Because even though I've lived in Dallas for 20 years, I still have a Tennessee accent. So I just wanted to expedite things and go ahead and, and fill that in for you. In fact, I've grown a little bit in, in helping my accent. People now don't think I'm from Tennessee. They think I'm from East Texas. <laughs> but I wanted to go ahead and fill those in just for the sake of time. So I do not know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things. How do I navigate a conversation? How do I get to the place in the conversation where I can even feel free to naturally share the gospel? How do I avoid the awkwardness? that sometimes happen in a conversation. How do I turn it? Well, what's the problem? Letter A, number one, you may be using the wrong approach. You may be using the wrong approach. Now, what do I mean by wrong approach? A, you begin by listening, not talking. You begin by listening while talking. The goal is for you to listen and you get them to talk. People who turn a, know how to turn a conversation to spiritual things aren't necessarily super good talkers. They are good listeners. 
Listening is so important because it shows the other person that you care. Uh, you show them that it's not just about you, it's about them. It, it allows you to learn about the other person, what they believe about God, what they believe about the church, what they believe about Jesus. And then it gives you cues in what they're telling you for you to use to turn the conversation to spiritual things. So here's how I remember this point, that listening is more important than talking and evangelism. How many ears do you have? Two. How many mouths? That should tell you the ratio. <laughs> to listen just as much or even more so than you speak. Now, how do you listen? B, give them your full attention. Give them your full attention. Uh, we can get so focused on what we're going to say next in evangelism that we fail to listen to what they're saying now. And many of you wives can identify with this. Have you, has your husband tried to convince you that he can read the paper and listen to you at the same time? No, I don't mean to step on any toes today, but the key is to put the paper down and give her your full attention. And it's the same way when we're sharing the gospel and we're listening to people, we need to give them their full attention and making, make it a learning experience. Enjoy learning about the per person and don't rush it. Why? Because see, the flow of the conversation must be natural, not forced. It must be natural, not forced. And that's why it will take uh, longer to turn the conversation with some people than with others. Some folks, you've talked with them five minutes, you just met them, and guess what? You already know all about this person. Why? Because they're freely sharing information about themselves. But others, it takes a while for them to share. Do, you, do any of you have neighbors where it was very slow for you to get to know them? Anybody have neighbors like that? Some people, it'll take five minutes to learn about them, some five hours, and some maybe even five months to get to know them, learn about them before you share. But the key is the conversation must be natural, not forced. Now, B, what's the solution? Number one, enjoy the conversation. Enjoy the conversation. Make it a learning experience and find out three key things about the person. Their family, find out about their family, their job, and their background. Say those with me. Family, job, and background. So if I asked you what are three things to learn in the conversation, family, job, and background. Now why these three things? It's because the person you're talking to is an expert at those three things. They can talk about those things. So family, job, and background. And as you're listening to them talk, you can listen for cues in the conversation on how to turn it to spiritual things. And, you, and for some people, you can do this quickly. Uh, have any of you taken Uber or Lyft to get from one place to another? The other day I was in a car with an Uber driver and I was talking with her and I, you know, I struck up a conversation and I said, is this your main gig? Is this your main job? And she said, no, I've got three other jobs. And, and so it turned out that was her, that was what I call a side hustle for her to be able to do the other three things that she was pursuing. 
And in that moment, God just gave me the transition. I said, man, it's great to explore different things so that you find your purpose and for why you're here. And she turned around. She turned around while she was driving. And I was like, oh, no, no. <laughs> and she was like, you know what? She said, that's exactly right. Finding out how you're wired up and what you were born to do. And you know what? That was the Lord opening that door in that conversation. And I was able to share with her how I found my purpose. And that purpose in finding it was learning how to find the God that created me. So it's just a matter of being a student of the person. Take the focus off of you and your fear and say, I'm going to be an investigator and I'm going to learn uh, about this person, not just with one question after another, but just in casual conversation, learning about the, the person. Pardon? Oh, sorry. Um, so listening is important. Number two, and this is even more important. Number two, let God direct the flow of the conversation. Let God direct the, the flow of the conversation. Because only the Holy Spirit can bring people to Christ. Therefore, we need to let God direct the flow of our conversations. Now, how do we do that? A, be open and responsive to whatever he wants you to do. In other words, in that moment, you, he is the director and you are the directed. And how do you do that? B, you pray as you listen and you listen as you pray. What people don't know is when I'm talking with them and having a conversation with them, I'm having a conversation with God about them. Saying, Lord, direct me in this conversation. I pray that you would help me recognize doors that you are going to open. I'll give an example. I was, at, uh, I was at Dillard's the other day trying to find clothes. Now, you can imagine trying to find clothes for someone 6'6 is a challenge particularly if you always go for the clearance rack. It's always a challenge, but a, a wonderful lady named Jay came up and helped me at Dillard's. And we started talking, and I really felt like God was at work in her life. And we were talking, and I just felt led. I said, now, how did you even get into sales? And she tells me her background, why she loved to, to sell clothes. She said, it's all about service, helping people find what they need. She said, that's my style of sales. And, I'm, and as she's talking, I'm listening, but I'm also praying, God, show me what to do. Show me what to say. I pray, God, for direction, and I pray for the boldness. And God just put in my mind, and he gave me the exact words to say. I said, you know what? I said, I found in sales that the most important thing for the salesman is to truly believe in your product. And she said, I absolutely agree. And I was able to turn the conversation and I was able to introduce the fact that well, I was in ministry. And while I wasn't selling something for a profit, I was persuading people to come to know their creator. And you know what? I got that in the moment just from the Lord. I wasn't going into that conversation planning because I was praying, because I was open to what God wanted to do. God gave me that way to turn the conversation to spiritual things. So pray as you listen and listen as you pray. And you may say, David, I can't concentrate if I'm praying and talking. You can even throw up one word prayers to God. 
Lord, I'm praying for opportunity. Opportunity, God, help me to recognize it. And then when you see the opportunity, Lord, I just need boldness from you right now. And here's, here's how I have come to learn how God answers this prayer for me. He waits for me to take the initiative with the person, and then he provides what I need at each stage of where I am. It's almost like a door at Walmart. Have you ever noticed the doors at Walmart? If no one's coming out or coming in, what do those doors do? They remain closed. How do I get them to open? I walk toward the door, and as I approach the door, then it opens. It's the same way in evangelism. I find that God answers my prayers in conversations as I'm talking with people when I step out and take that next step of faith out of my comfort zone. And then God, on the fly, opens the door of heaven and provides me what I need when I need it for that exact moment. So it's a twofold thing. You approach the door and the door starts to open for God to answer your prayers as you take that next step. And then, of course, number three, benefit from experience. Benefit from experience. The more you do it, the easier it becomes, and your repertoire of transitions increases. People who do it well have done it often. And so I would say just benefit from experience. And then number four, as you talk, ask questions that determine if this conversation might be an open door for the gospel. Questions are key to get others to talk. And I'll give you some examples in just a minute. But questions are a great way to number five, move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual, then the spiritual to the gospel. Okay, that's the link from the secular to the spiritual, then the spiritual to the gospel. Don't just jump from talking about God to turning to the person pointing your finger in their face to say, if you were to die right now, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Don't skip right from the secular to the gospel. Move it from the secular to what? The spiritual, and then from the spiritual to the gospel. Okay, so so far we've learned two things. What are the three things to ask others about? Family, job, background, and what's the, what are the two things to pray for? Direction and boldness. And then what are the three stages in a conversation? Secular to spiritual, spiritual to gospel. And you may say, David, how do I do that? Well, we've given you a bridge. Go ahead and turn the page to the next page that's titled use questions to move from general topics to the gospel and you'll notice that we've divided it up into three sections the top third conversation starters how do you get the person to start talking this involves secular topics like what is your favorite thing about your job how is life going for you what are your hobbies do you follow any sports teams these things help you to break the ice in the conversation and begin to learn about the person. Then the next, the next phase in the middle third is transition to spiritual things. We, I call this the spiritual section. And I absolutely love this section because it, it takes a step of faith 
to move the conversation from the secular to the spiritual. A great way to do this, after you learn about the person, hey, how can I pray for you? That's a great non-threatening way for you to be able to change the conversation to spiritual things. And it's a great thing to use with your family. It's a great thing to use even with the waiter that's serving you at a restaurant. And one of my favorites is simply, are you interested in spiritual things? And think about your neighbors and how many different things you've, you've chit-chatted about over the years. Have you ever taken a step of faith and moved it and said, are you interested at all in spiritual things? And if they are, you learn about that. But a great transition from that is you've said you've, you're interested in spiritual things. Where would you say you are in your spiritual journey? And that will, in, that will unveil a lot about their own walk, about their own journey. And then finally, the bottom third, transition to the gospel. Good ways to do that. If you've asked them about their spiritual journey, here's a great question to follow up with after you listen is, have you come to a point in your spiritual journey where you know for sure you're going to heaven? Or have you come to a point in your spiritual journey where you know that you are right with God? Just a great way to transfer what? From the spiritual to the gospel. Again, very non-threatening. We, we've given you a lot of sample questions. You may have some of your own, but I love this because I view it kind of as a funnel. Here's a way to break the ice and learn. Here's a way to transition to spiritual things. Here's a way to transition to the gospel. You may not get through all three in one conversation with somebody. In fact, I challenge you, if you have neighbors and friends who you're praying for, plot this on your graph. Who have you broken the ice with? Are there any neighbors that you haven't met? And then the second thing is, how many of your neighbors or friends or family that you know that you haven't bridged to spiritual things in conversation? It's just never come up. Write their names on this sheet that, hey, I'm kind of in the transition between secular and spiritual here, and start praying to God, God, I pray that you would give me the wisdom in how, in the timing of how to bring this up with them. And then finally, even those folks that you've talked about spiritual things with, maybe you've prayed for them, maybe they know you, you go to church, maybe they know your background, have you ever journeyed into the gospel by asking them about their own faith? And have they ever trusted in, in Christ? And you can plot those people here and say, God, we've talked about spiritual a lot. I pray you would give me wisdom and direction and boldness to take it to the next level, level and really introduce the gospel into the conversation. So does this make sense? Hopefully it's helpful. You can come up with your own questions and ways to move the conversation, but it's just a way to filter it down. And I challenge you also to plot people on this graph. Where are you with them in your relationship? A coworker, whatever. Are you in the secular? Have you introduced spiritual things? And finally, the gospel. So brief quiz before we move on. What are the three things to talk about with people in conversations? Family, job, background. Two things to pray for direction and boldness and then what are the three steps you move from the secular to the and from the spiritual to the that's the progression progression excellent now notice the second fear number two i do not know how to present the gospel 
I'm afraid, I'm afraid I, 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 that I might not know what to say or I may say the wrong thing. Now, what's the problem, A? You may not have it clear in your mind the message of the gospel and the meaning of saving faith. A, what's the message? The message of the gospel is, let's say it together, Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. And we get that in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul makes it very clear what is the gospel. What is it that sets Christianity apart from all other religions? And that is, he says there in 1 Corinthians 15, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. And I want you to underline on your sheet that word for. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried, that he, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That word for is so key there because it means on behalf of or instead of. In other words, Christ's death was a substitutionary death. He died in our place. He died for our sins. Let me illustrate real quick. Um, one of the best illustrations I've heard of this is what I just call this illustration cancer. And I've shared it here before, but this is a very powerful illustration. Let's say um, you were in the hospital with terminal cancer. Now, if you heart, no offense, just an illustration. You were in, in the hospital with, with terminal cancer. And let's say I was able to come in and lay my hand on you, and the cancer cells in your body were able to be transferred into my body. Now, if those cancer cells were able to leave you and enter me, what would happen to me? I would die. What would happen to you? You would live. Why? Because I took what was causing your death upon myself, and I died in your place. That is exactly why Jesus Christ came into this world to take what was causing our spiritual death, our sin, when, when he died on the cross, he took our sin upon himself, and he died in our place. He took the penalty that we deserved, and he put it on himself, and he died in our place. That's the key word there for, he died for our sins, instead of us and on behalf of us, in order to make us right with God. I love, um, I love the passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, where it says, Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust. Why? To bring you home to God. That the wrath of God was satisfied, and his, he was shown to be a just God by punishing our sins, but yet punishing Christ instead of us. So this is key. The message of the gospel is Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That is the meat of the, and the heart of the issue of what you're communicating to someone else. We get so scared because we think in evangelism, we're, we have to know the entire Bible and how to you know, defend and communicate the entire Bible when really it's a matter of just knowing the gospel. And the reason I know this is, do you know who some of the best evangelists are? 
new believers. They don't know the entire Bible. They may not even be able to name one or two books in the Bible, but guess what? They do know the gospel, and they have a fire about what they've just learned, and they're willing to go out and share. So don't let evangelism be intimidating you that you have to have answers and you need to know how to, how to defend the entire Bible. No, the question is do you not, do you know the entire Bible? The question is, do you know the gospel? That's huge. B, the meaning of saving faith is to trust in Christ alone to save you. The meaning of saving faith is to trust in Christ alone to save you. John 6, 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who, what, believes in me has everlasting life. That word, those two words in English, believes in, is one word in Greek. It's called pistuo. And what that means is to put your confidence in and your trust in uh, someone else. And this is huge. In fact, the Gospel of John was a book specifically written so we could have assurance of knowing we'll go to heaven. Guess how many times that word belief or pistuo is used in the Gospel of John? Anybody guess? 100, almost 98. 98 times, believe, believe, believe. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting enough. Not just intellectual assent, but also putting your trust and in your confidence. And here's how I illustrate it. Let's see. All right, Donna, you stand up. I'm going to pick on Donna. You go ahead and stand up. All right. Now, Donna's standing up. Now sit down. Now you can sit down. What she just did is illustrate trust because she trusted in that chair to hold her up through no effort of her own. In the same way, that's what Christ calls us to do, to put our full confidence in him as our only way to heaven through no effort of our own. You're trusting him as your only way to heaven, your only way to be forgiven by God, and your only way to know God as your personal savior by trusting in Christ to save you. But you may say, David, I know these things. I hear them all the time here at Stonebriar, but I still struggle to share my faith. Well, number two, the reason you're struggling is you may have never learned a method of sharing the gospel. You may have never learned a method. Anyone consistent in evangelism has a basic method or a couple of methods they use to share the gospel. And you may say, David, I feel like if I learn a method, it makes me feel like I'm canned, like I'm just reading a presentation. Well, I have found that a method is not so much a speech that you read to somebody. It's kind of a roadmap that you have. That, and that roadmap prepares you to, on where to go in the conversation. And that's huge when you're having a conversation with somebody. Because you know what people tend to do? They go down rabbit trails. And they want to talk about this, this, this. And that's fine. But it's a comfort to me to have a method so that I know right where I am on that map and I can pull the conversation back and talk about the gospel. So method doesn't freeze you up. It frees you up and prevent, it helps to prevent rabbit trails. 
And you know what? Here's the deal. You may not get through your entire method with somebody. That's okay. But at least you know where in the conversation you are with them. So when you are able to see them again or another time, you can bring up, hey, what do you think about we just the point we just made? Now, what's the solution? Number one, learn the bad news, good news approach to presenting the gospel. It's freed up thousands. We now have the, and, and everybody, does everybody have a little tract? Okay, this is just a roadmap of the gospel. And so we now have this in, and we have total 60 languages, but we have this particular tract in 55 languages because it's so simple and it's worked worldwide. So you can, uh, you can review the tract on your own, but I just want to walk you through it real quick. And it opens this way. Has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven? And then if they say, no, no one ever has, you just say, may I? Because I always believe in asking someone's permission to share. I don't want to be somebody that beats somebody over the head with the Bible. I want to get their permission to share. And here's what I share. The Bible contains bad news and good news. I mean, how much simpler could you get? Bad news, good news. The bad news is about you and me. The good news is about who? God. And notice I don't just say the bad news is about you. I say the bad news is about you and me. And I'll, I'll share that with you in just a minute. Let's look at the bad news first. Bad news number one, and feel free to follow in the track if you want. Bad news number one, read it with me. We are all sinners. That's why I say you and me. We are all sinners. The verse, Romans 3.23, how many can quote it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's that key word all in there. We all are in this boat. What's the illustration? I just call it rock. Let's say you and I had a contest and we both picked up rocks and the goal of the contest is to hit the North Pole. I think that way's north. Now that's the goal. Whoever hits the North Pole wins the prize. And we both throw our rocks. Now you may throw your rock further than me, but guess what? We're both gonna fall short of the goal where our rocks are going to fall short of the North Pole. In the same way, we live our lives. And you know what? You may live a better life than me, but you know what the Bible says? We've all fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how good we are, being good doesn't take away our sin. We both fall short. And I usually make sure I emphasize you may live a better life than me. You may uh, do more good things, but we're both going to fall short. That's bad news number one. Let's say it together. We are all sinners. The verse, Romans 3.23, and the illustration, rock. But the bad news gets worse. Bad news number two is the penalty of sin is death. The verse Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now, what are wages? Wages, let's say I worked for you a day in your yard. I did all this stuff, and at the end of the day, you paid me cash. The cash you pay me are the wages that I have earned because of my work. In the same way, the Bible says because we've sinned, we've earned death. 
And that death is not just physical death. That death is separation from God, who is the source of all life. We look around today and we see brokenness. We see brokenness in our news. The world is broken. We see brokenness in our lives. But guess what? The reason we see brokenness in our world and brokenness in our lives is because our relationship with God is broken. So bad news number two is simply the penalty of sin is what? Death. The verse is Romans 6.23. Illustration is wages. All right? But I haven't come to tell you bad news. I've come to give you good news. Good news number one, Christ died for you. One of the most powerful things you can ever tell someone else, Christ died for you. The verse Romans 5, 8. If you know it, say the end with me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And the illustration is just that cancer illustration I gave. So that one is cancer. About Jesus took what was causing our death upon himself, and he died in our place. But just as the bad news got worse, the good news gets better. uh, Good news number two, you can be saved through faith in Christ. The verse is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace, God's unmerited favor, by grace you have been saved through faith. That's trust in the Lord. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So the, the, it's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And the illustration is simply chair. Just as Donna stood up and demonstrated saving faith to us by sitting in the chair, that's what God's calling us to do. And then the concluding question is, is there any reason, first of all, you say, do, do you understand everything that I just said? Make sure they understand, because people have to have clarity before they are able to make um, put their faith in Christ. They need clarity. But the second question is, is there any reason why you shouldn't trust Christ right now? Okay, so let's go through it together. Opening question, has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you know for sure you're going to heaven? May I? The Bible contains what? Bad news and good news. The bad news is something about you and me. The good news is something about God. Let's talk about the bad news first. Bad news number one, we are all sinners. The verse, Romans 3.23, and the illustration is rock. Bad news number two, the penalty of sin is death. The verse, Romans 6.23, the illustration is wages. Good news number one, Christ died for you. The verse is Romans 5.8, illustration is cancer. Good news number two, you can be saved through faith in Christ. The verse, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, illustration is chair. Concluding question, is anything keeping you from trusting Christ right now? Now, normally in our training, I go over that with you like 10 to 15 times. We don't have time to do that today. So I would say, take this tract, break it down just like I did. Four points. The point itself, bad news number one, um, we are all sinners. Know the verse, Romans 3.23, and then the illustration rock. 
Get these down where you memorize it. Second step, get with a trusted believer friend and go over it like and share it with them like they're a non-believer. Get it nailed down quick. Get it submitted in your mind because here's what will happen. If you commit to take those two steps, I don't care how scared you are. If you commit to do those two non-threatening steps, memorize this presentation, begin to share it with another believer to practice, and then start praying for opportunities to share those God opportunities that those God moments where he puts you together with someone that needs to hear the message, you will be ready to start sharing. The other day I was at a park. I live over in Flower Mound. There was a lady there and I could tell she was there at the picnic table and her husband had her three kids over in the, in the playground area. Well, my daughter and I were there. We sat down and began to talk with her, and I felt led in my heart to start sharing with her. I didn't have a tract. I didn't have a Bible, and God gave me just the transition. We started talking about her kids, and we started talking about, you know, how she was a mom, and she, she was Hispanic. Her name was Esperanza, which means hope. And I started to share, asked her if she was interested in spiritual things. She said she did go to church. She went to a Catholic church there locally. And you know what, God, I kept praying for opportunities and boldness. God gave me an open door. And do you know what I asked her? I said, I, I know you're, you're God-fearing, you go to church, but has anyone ever taken a Bible and shown you how you know for sure you go to heaven? And she sat there and she looked at her kids and she looked down and she looked at me and she said, no, no one ever has. I said, may I? She said, absolutely. And with, in about 15 minutes, we were able to go through the complete bad news, good news. And at the end, she indicated and said, yes, I would like to trust Christ because I've never understood all this before. Our world is crazy, but God is still at work. And all he's looking for are people that admit, I'm afraid, but are willing to take the next step of faith and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Do all the conversations I have with non-believers turn out that way? No. But my goal is, even if I don't get through the gospel with them, Lord, use me to move them one step closer to Jesus through my example and through my words. So anyway, I'm not going to go over this with you again, but I do challenge you to do two things. Memorize it so that you know, and then begin to share with a believer and then to start praying that God will give you opportunities. We good? All right, let's move to the last one real quick. Number three, you may say, David, I understand about sharing the gospel and changing a conversation, but I have this big fear, number three, I may not be able to answer their questions and objections. What if they ask me a question I don't understand? Well, what's the problem, number one, it's a failure to understand your biblical responsibility. God is not asking you to defend the gospel. God is asking you to declare the gospel. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified the gospel. We are not called to be defense attorneys for the Lord, but we are called to be witnesses. 
to be able to share with God what we've learned, what we've seen, what we've experienced, and leave the defending to God. Second reason is, number two, a tendency to forget how people are brought to Christ. Paul continues, My speech and my preaching were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power, so your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but the wisdom of God. They only come to Christ when the Holy Spirit takes the truth of the gospel and penetrates their heart with it, just like it happened with Lydia in Acts chapter 16. It says God opened her heart to Paul's message. And then number three, a misunderstanding of why people often ask questions and raise objections. We're going to get into this more next week. Two reasons are, number one, sometimes they haven't heard a clear presentation of the gospel and they're a little confused. That's why we want to make it clear and plain. But number two, sometimes they're just putting up a smoke screen. And what I mean by that is they'll, they'll say something like, you know, why are there so many hypocrites in the church? And you begin to answer that and then they'll flip it. Well, what about those who haven't heard? And it's called what I call the question merry-go-round. It just keeps going. So you need to have a basic understanding of that. I have a friend, every time I share the gospel, he just keeps changing the subject and bringing up questions. And you have to realize that, um, that sometimes that goes on. Um, now, B, what's the solution when that happens? Number one, take the offensive, not the defensive. Take the offensive, not the defensive. I didn't say be offensive. I didn't say be offensive. Oh boy, I could really go into that one, but I won't. Um, I said take the offensive, how? Kindly ask clarifying questions. Ask clarifying questions. I love this one. When someone says something like, or oh, the church is just all about money. You know what I say sometimes? Oh, what, what does that mean? What do you mean by that? Or what led you to that conclusion? Now, I say that saying, well, what do you mean by that? You know, all haughty. I don't mean it to ask it that way. But sometimes, what do you mean by that? And the reason you ask these clarifying questions is to find out the real reason someone thinks that. Because it may be that just as I found out with a couple of people I've shared the gospel with, they were in a church and either an elder or the pastor in that church lived a lavish lifestyle, and one even stole money from the church. And that person looked at them when they were young, and they said, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. So clarifying questions really help to, to clarify in your mind why the person is raising the objections. And we'll talk about that next week. Number three, keep the conversation centered on the gospel that Christ died for sins and rose from the dead. I was talking to, uh, when I first started sharing my faith, I had the opportunity to share with a professor in the university, and he kept going on and on and on about whether or not people had souls. And I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be able to answer all this man's intellectual questions. But I kept bringing it back to the gospel, and I said, if you're right, I understand, but what if I'm right, and one day you have to stand before God? and give an account. He changed this conversation again, but then I gently brought it back to that issue. And finally, you know what he said? He said, I, I, I can't even answer that. We shook hands. We were done. And while I was walking out of his office, do you know what he told me? He said, by the way, I do give money to the church down the street. So even though I wasn't able to break the ice in the conversation and, and, and get to where I wanted, I got him thinking 
And he, it was almost like, well, just in case I'm wrong, I want you to know that I give money to the church down the street. Again, I didn't, wasn't able to, to cross the finish line with him in the gospel, but I was able to move him one step closer. Keep the conversation centered on the gospel. Number four, make each situation a learning experience. They may catch you off guard. You don't know the answer, but you can learn, and the next time you will be prepared and number five, if they ask you a question you can't answer, respond with, let me, let me take some time to think about that. Now, we used to train people, say, I don't know. But what people hear when you say, I don't know, is that no one knows in Christianity. But I have noticed that when I say, let me think about that, or let me think about that between the next time, now and the next time we talk. And that gives you an opportunity to pray, but also to seek spiritual counsel, maybe do some Googling, talk to an elder at church. I love, let me think about that, because that's really what you're doing, is just taking time to process, rather than just the cold stop of I don't know. And then number six, recognize the root issue is spiritual, not intellectual. Even if I answer every question they ask perfectly, articulately, does that automatically mean that they will trust in Christ? No. Why? Because the issue is not the intellect, it's the heart. It's not intellectual, it's a spiritual issue. So we've covered a lot today, but here's one thought I want you to take with you. The issue is never, are you afraid? Because everyone is afraid in evangelism. Everybody is. The issue is, what are you doing to overcome those fears? In your obedience, what are you doing to overcome these fears? Because let's face it, we all want to make a difference in the lives of others here on earth. And I want to conclude with this. One of the greatest ways that you can be used by God is to tell others about God. One of the greatest ways you can leave an impact and leave a legacy and to, and to be used by God in the life of someone else is to tell them about God. Amen? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for these folks that are here. Father, I pray that as they reflect on this, as they review God, you would give them the next step of obedience they need to take in their witness for you, God. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.